So really quick, so th- there's two things that I really do like about this at this part of the story. The, the first one being in the Trump motion for a special master, they say, it's just how innocently they paint this, <laughs> where they say, after moving to Mar-a-Lago, some NARA employees inquired as to whether any documents were inadvertently transferred there by the movers. So already he's saying <laughs> yeah. that, you know, my moving crew, maybe maybe they accidentally made off with some classified docs. So that's number yeah. one. But the other thing that I like is when introducing his glorious Mar-a-Lago property, um, he actually provides, you know, a paragraph description of what the Mar-a-Lago property <laughs> is, which I, oh, I yeah. can't believe I never knew this. But He translated it. Yeah. Did you guys did you guys know that Mar-a-Lago, it's, it's, it's because... It's sea to lake. That's yeah. the translation. Yeah. I just want to say I looked at I looked at Google Maps and just to see like what I don't what lake and I lo- that 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 shit's a lagoon. I okay, was just- that ain't a lake. <laughs> That's a sea to lagoon. That- so like let's just start from there. He's already off on the uh, on a bad start. Yeah, he's calling this. There's a lot of mendacious things in this, but calling the intercoastal a lake. Really, really strains credulity right off the bat. So that's 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 upsetting. Um, Patrick and I aren't having that in, up here in the Great Lakes. No, basically. no, we're not, we're not having that. So my parents live right over there, and uh, yeah, there's a strip of land where there's like uh, the intercoastal is effectively like a shipping canal. Um, it's built <laughs> it's built slightly inland, and it's designed so that boats can get through there instead of being on like the choppy ocean right. water or whatever. With but, all the respect I typically get, this is us moving quickly through the timeline. <laughs> look, by no means now this... in maritime jurisdiction. <laughs> look, look, we know lakes up here. We know lake, and that sir, that is no lake. Welcome to Hostile Witness, a podcast about law at the end of the world. I'm your host, Charles Starr, and on this episode, my friends Patrick, Eric, and I take a look at the ongoing saga of the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago and the special master litigation in its aftermath. The story kept moving faster than I can edit, so we're putting out two episodes today. On this episode, episode 7, we start with Trump's dispute with the National Archives over the documents he took with him at the end of his term, through District Judge Eileen Cannon's decision to appoint a special master. In the follow-up episode, we catch up on everything that happened before I could finish editing this one, up through the special master's early decisions. This is Hostile Witness. Bear with us. So with me today are the stalwarts, Eric. Hey. And Patrick. Hello. All right. That you'll easily be able to pick out their voices later yeah. because of uh, the clear sound patterns from <laughs> uh, both of them. So we're back and we're, we are actually doing a current events podcast that we can't call an emergency because we're definitely not going to move fast enough. <laughs> but we are recording literally minutes after the Trump government joint submission regarding the special master procedure was handed to the Honorable Judge Eileen Cannon of the Southern District of Florida. So I guess we'll just start at the beginning with a riot on uh, January 6th. Yeah, there was that. I kind of kind of almost forgot about that in the wake of all this other stuff. So that's uh, (laughs) that is an interesting spot to start. So, yeah, Trump gets told to leave. there's actually much ado in one of these um, one of these documents about the fact that they had to move in like ten days, and he's kind of whining about it. 
And like, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. feel for him. There's a very, yeah, he's, he's yelling, he's yelling at the cop who is evicting him. <laughs> There's a very funny woe is me comment when they're like discussing how many boxes. First off, it's like that I think you should leave sketch about the tables, the number number of time you wind up reading the word boxes in these, and it's like completely deranging after a while. But there's a there's a really snide line in one of these where he's like, We had to move. We had like ten days. There's boxes everywhere. How could you expect us to tell the difference between these boxes? And it's uh it's a nice taste of what's to come. Right. It's like he was sure that November was a lie. <laughs> And right up to the very last minute, yeah. he sincerely believed that uh, the My Pillow guy was right, and he wouldn't have to leave. I had a friend in college who um, would set his alarm for five minutes before class started. <laughs> his, he would wake up fully dressed. His alarm would go off. He would push himself off the bed, and he would sprint to class. That is a metaphor for the peaceful transition of power we observed when uh, it was time for Trump to get out of there. January 20th does eventually roll around, though, and I believe Joe and Don crossed in the hallway. <laughs> you know, he, was, he couldn't make the inauguration because he was still packing. <laughs> so, uh, Patrick, do you want to take us through the timeline? Yeah, yeah. So, um, kind of goofy. Like, he's out of there, and then for a couple months, things are quiet. And then in May, the archives are like, hey, um, we've got some stuff that we don't have here. And that goes on from May until December. And in December, this is where things start to get – I mean, things already started to get goofy, obviously. But um, in December, the Trump people say that they have 12 boxes of material in Mar-a-Lago. And they say, OK, we're going to – we are gonna, got a, a system. We're going to securely get them over or whatever. This kicks up like a dust-up of the normal like sort of MAGA conspiracy people. And this becomes a pattern where the <laughs> – where the National Archives has to issue a press statement about the fact that it wasn't a raid, that this is like a peaceful like discussion between the two of them. <laughs> so it actually was quiet for like a year. And then in like late 2021, yeah. after bickering for a year yeah, seven about months. what was <laughs> like seven months of bickering in 2021, they go and get, and I think it's 15 boxes, right? So that's the first weird discrepancy. Okay. In okay. December, in December, <laughs> the Trump clan says that they have 12 boxes. And this is when, and this is, these details are missing to time. Um, but clearly there was some conspiracy stuff rumbling around because the archives are forced to issue this press statement. They're all conveniently on one webpage, and it's really funny watching them accelerate, saying they didn't visit or raid Mar-a-Lago. So that's in December. <laughs> So really quick, so th there's two things that I really do like about this at this part of the story. The, the first one being in the Trump motion for a special master, they say, it's just how innocently they paint this, <laughs> where they say, after moving to Mar-a-Lago, some NARA employees inquired as to whether any documents were inadvertently transferred there by the movers. So already he's saying <laughs> yeah. that, you know, my moving crew, maybe, maybe they accidentally made off with some classified docs. So that's number yeah. one. But the other thing that I like is when introducing his glorious Mar-a-Lago property, um, he actually provides, you know, a paragraph description of what the Mar-a-Lago property <laughs> is, which I, oh, I yeah. can't believe I never knew this, but he translated it. Yeah. Did you guys, did you guys know that Mar-a-Lago it's, it's, it's because it's sea to lake. That's yeah. the translation. Yeah. I just want to say I looked at I looked at Google Maps and just to see like what I don't what lake and I that 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 shit's a lagoon. I was okay? just, that ain't a lake. <laughs> it's a sea to lagoon. That, so like let's just start from there. He's already off on the uh, on a bad start. Yeah, he's calling this. There's a lot of mendacious things in this, but calling the intercoastal a lake 
really really strains credulity right off the bat so that's that's <laughs> that's upsetting Patrick and I aren't having that in, up here in the Great Lakes. No, basin. no, we're not, we're not having that. So my parents live right over there. And uh, yeah, there's a strip of land where there's like, uh, the intercoastal is effectively like a shipping canal. Um, it's built <laughs> it's built slightly inland and it's designed so that boats can get through there instead of being on like the choppy ocean right. water or whatever. With but, all the respect I typically get, this is us moving quickly through the timeline. <laughs> look, by no means. We're now this, in maritime jurisdiction. Look, <laughs> look, we know lakes. Up here, we know lakes. And that's, sir, that is no lake. So December, Trump says 12 boxes. January 18th, they deliver 15 boxes. Uh-huh. So things are clearly escalating. It's somewhat of a cold war between Trump and uh, the archives people. Around early February, they're like, look, we're continuing to search for any more documents that we might have that are, re- that are responsive to this request. I believe that that's independent of the fact that the archives uh, sort of notice that there's a lot of stuff missing still. Yeah. A couple of days after the reps say that they're continuing to search, you know, diligently or whatever for more records, that's when the archives just, you know, sort of send a referral to the Justice Department. So this this kicks off a whole big thing, um, which right. we've all been enduring ever since, obviously. Boy, this so. is the first subpoena, I think, right? Like at this point, the FBI gets no, involved not yet. in the. Oh, not, are we the not? FBI, yeah, the FBI shows When, when did we get to the dinner? That's what I want to talk about, the dinner. What I know is that the next thing that happens is the FBI says, you have to give us those documents. Yeah. And so NARA goes back to Trump in April and says, we're going to just give this to them. Uh, and Trump just... His lawyers asked for like multiple extensions, one more week, one more week, one more week, and then ultimately claims executive privilege and doesn't want the documents to go to the FBI. And then in May, Nara's like, this is all completely unfounded. You can't claim executive privilege against us. You definitely don't have the executive privilege over classified documents. And we're giving this to the FBI. So they do in May. And that's when they get the subpoena. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I jumped the gun here. So then they issue the subpoena. And in the subpoena, they base it on the fact that they've been interviewing Trump Organization and Mar-a-Lago staff. I think they have all the documents in like those little bins where you buy like bouncy balls with your tickets at Chuck E. Cheese. Like it sounds like they're just like in a room that they shut with a door. Yeah, like they, there's a lock, you know, yeah. but people go in and out. And so they're like, you know, this is bad. So they so they subpoena. They're like, we have reason to believe there's more. So we think you should search again and give us more. Yeah, which if you look into like more granular like summaries of what happens from here, the numbers of stuff that keep escalating. Again, we already, even before this really got dusted up, it already went from like 12 boxes to 15 boxes. And then it's like, oh, uh, there's 17 boxes and 14 of which we found we found documents, you know, marked confidential. Oh, well, that, yeah, though, that's much later. That's after yeah. the raid. But this all just grows exponentially. All yeah. of these numbers oh, yeah, just yeah. Climb, and climb the entire time. In June, in response yes. to the subpoena, they're like, come get the documents from us. <laughs> Right. Like, come, we need, we need you to send someone in person. They're classified. We can't, I guess they're just like, we can't FedEx these and we can't courier them. So send someone to our house. And so they go to Mar-a-Lago and whoever the representative is hands them a red weld, which is like a red manila folder. Yeah. Which was taped up. Yeah. Double taped to be extra secure. And there are like 30 something documents in that fold. Then they give him an affidavit and they're like, this is it. 
This is everything. Also part of this NARA, or actually FBI, coming to retrieve the documents. So in, in the Trump motion for the special master, they describe this as like a cordial dinner, right? These three FBI agents, they show up at Mar-a-Lago. It says that uh, President Trump greeted them in the dining room. President Trump's last words to the FBI agents were, whatever you need, just let us know. And then they say they take this stroll to the storage room. And apparently they show these FBI agents the storage room. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this this quote in the filing. It says, they say, once back in the dining room, one of the FBI agents said, thank you. You did not need to show us the storage room, but we appreciate it. Now it all makes sense. And then, and then, and then the idea is they say, "Well, thank you for letting us have a glimpse of your storage room," and they leave. And you know, not to put the cart before the horse, but when we get to DOJ's filing, <laughs> they make clear that we went to the storage room and they refused, without a warrant, to let us look in any of the boxes in the storage yeah. room. They just took us there and said, "This all is unclassified." <laughs> I got to say, the phrase, now it all makes sense, yes. is kind of uh, double-edged. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I think there, Trump treats now it all makes sense like, ah, there we go. You're in the clear. Once again, my innocence has been attested to by the hostile <laughs> FBI. Meanwhile, the FBI guys are going back on the plane and they're just like, oh, now it all makes sense. He's never well, going to give this to us. Well, no, you're right, because then two weeks later, they send them another subpoena seeking the footage of the surveillance cameras of the storage room. Right. So that comes two weeks later. Right. And the, other, the other great thing about the Trump filing, when they are going through the background of all of this, is they try just to paint it like they are doing everything they possibly can to be responsive and cooperative because they want to paint what eventually happens, the raid, as just like this unnecessary provocation. You know, like we were we were we were playing nice and then all of a sudden they raided my home for no reason. Right. But it's just like when you sit here and look at the facts, this this isn't cooperation. I mean this this is yeah. escalation. It's just it's we gave them 15 boxes and then we said, hey, like that's all of them. And then they came back and they said, well do you have more? And we said, ah, okay. But yeah, that's all of them. And whatever else you need. And then I took them to the storage room and I said, well, whatever else you need. And then they subpoenaed the security camera footage. And I said, sure thing, whatever else you need. It's just, it's, it's just, it, it never ends. They bend over yeah. backwards in this motion to like paint themselves as really, really compliant because every, oh, yeah. because every time they get subpoenaed, they like accept it. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal that they don't that they don't like make someone chase Trump himself down. <laughs> right. And like every time they keep calling their compliance voluntary, mm -hmm. even though it's in response to a subpoena. Right. The big deal is that they didn't make a motion to quash. And every time they outline their voluntariness, it's in italics. <laughs> right. The word vi voluntary appears in italics every time so that the raid they treat like the move bombing. <laughs> These the, the agents came in early in the morning when he was out of town. So yeah, so that's it. They get the security tapes and they're interviewing all of his employees who by this point are like, oh, he keeps stuff outside the storage room, <laughs> which goes into the affidavit, right? I, I don't think I, I distributed the affidavit from to get the warrant, but in the affidavit, they basically say that our interviews of redacted, redacted, and redacted 
uh, indicated that we that there were other places at Mar-a-Lago where documents so were kept. Do, do we do we know that those were like Mar-a-Lago employees or his inner circle? Because I would absolutely love it if it was just like some random Southern Florida orthodontist who like put. <laughs> Played yeah. a round of 18 with Trump, and then they go back to his office, and he just says, you want to see the real Kennedy autopsy? And then he pull, <laughs> just pulls it out of his desk. <laughs> no, I guess, that, That's the guy I who wish, goes to the I, FBI? I wish that were the case. But it's people who were working with Trump who were, like, helping him manage his transition back to watching television. With all due respect, Charles, you don't know that the golf pro isn't doing that. That, that's true. Well, the golf pro was probably appointed to Solicitor General's yeah, office yeah. for yeah, a he, few months. So we're, we're we're up to the raid, and my my right. favorite part about the raid is so you know they show up at nine in the morning. They get the warrant. To be they clear, get, they yes, get they the get, warrant from Judge Reinhardt in uh, Palm Beach, I think. Yeah. So they they show up, and my my favorite line is that uh, when the raid begins. Counsel for President Trump contacted three attorneys in the general area <laughs> who then came to observe what the government was doing. I am just picturing in my head that outside of Mar-a-Lago, there's just like it's, you know, a Home Depot and there's just laborers like in the parking lot just waiting. <laughs> just a bunch of def- like, skeezy defense attorneys for someone to come out and say, who wants to work today? I think what you actually do is fire up an app like Uber out there and you find the three nearest lawyer cars that are actively chasing, right. like literally chasing ambulances <laughs> and you hire them to show up. So, yeah. And then and then he complains that the FBI would not allow his attorneys to supervise the search. <laughs> Which I believe the police refer to as interfering. <laughs> I also, again, like it's if if I'm taking this motion at face value, these attorneys were literally just people that they called that morning to come. <laughs> it's, it's so you just have these people show up and just tell the FBI that hey, is it cool if we tail you while you guys execute this search warrant? I think though, actually, it was. I think Corcoran was there, who is one of the guys yeah. who was on the brief and. Christina, Bob, who was the one who signed the affidavit, might have been there. But it is funny. Well, I know, I know that one they of these are like Cato Kalin. Yeah. Um, like he's got a legal team like Cato Kalin in the guest house of Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> just on call. Well, they're probably just all golfing there at all times, right? It's like a, it's like yeah. a, um, like a sanctuary, like a lawyer sanctuary that he operates there. <laughs> So then they seize everything. They haul off like 30-something cartons, right? And the warrant, to just go back quickly, the warrant is issued based on suspicion of violation of three different statutes. I don't remember the numbers anymore, but one of them was obstruction. One of them was improper removal and or destruction of classified material or government material. Just just federal records. Yeah, federal yeah, records. Classification, unclassified, yeah. classified, no, just federal records. Federal records. And then the third one was removal and or destruction of national defense records. Which I believe um, that that one is the Espionage Act. 
I think. Uh, like that, that, that particular yeah. provision is the part, because one of these is an espionage act statute. Yeah. And that would, I mean, that would be the one, I think. And so it's like a souped up version of the second one because they, you know, they had already recovered some national defense documents and had reason to believe that there was more. And this ends up being kind of a point of dispute is that he doesn't file for the special master for a couple of weeks. But we see that Judge Cannon goes out of her way to point out that it took a few days for them to complain to the government rather than a few weeks. Uh, and then, of course, as everyone listening knows, the special master was appointed. Yeah, earlier this week, she appointed the special master or whatever. And then this today, they submitted their paperwork on where they disagreed and who they wanted. And we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, so ju- just to put some numbers on the raid, I have it here in front of me. So as a result of the raid, Government seized 33 boxes slash containers of records, over 100 distinct classified records, including three classified documents inside the desk in Trump's office as well. And this is also going to become a point of contention because the warrant was, it wasn't just for documents bearing classified records. The warrant also included personal effects stored in the vicinity or, or other records that were in boxes that were stored near right. boxes right. that contain classified. stored with. Yeah. Yes. Anything yes. So- stored with could be taken. Right. And so this, this becomes a point of contention when we get to the argument for a special master in terms of whether the government here took more than they should have. Yeah, if it was overbroad but, to take all that stuff. And so I guess that's the thing. We can get, I guess we can get into his motion now. Yeah. So he makes a motion and he makes a few claims, which I'll go through quickly and then we'll kind of backtrack through. He claims that there are some which are protected by attorney-client privilege, and so he needs a special master. He claims that some are protected by executive privilege that he retains under the Presidential Records Act. He says that the PRA has no enforcement mechanism, and so that's why they gin up these criminal statutes like obstruction and destruction of national defense records, but he throws that as if it's a footnote to the whole thing, as opposed to the basis for the warrant. And he complains, of course, that he's been treated very badly, even though he voluntarily complied. And people are very upset about it. (laughs) He makes a big deal of how mad people are uh, at the horrible way he's been treated. And then he gets to the first thing that kind of approaches law, where he says that the court has the inherent authority to protect these interests by appointing a special master. And he cites a bunch of cases, including uh, Nixon and the raids of Michael Cohen and Rudy Giuliani and Project Veritas and a few others. And then he makes the only point that Uh, I was sort of curious about, which is, why did you bring this suit? Uh, How were you able to get this suit in front of Eileen Cannon, who you appointed instead of Judge Reinhardt, who issued the warrant? And he makes the good point that the magistrate actually can't give equitable relief the way he wants. And so it has to be in front of a district judge. So he's going to shop for one (laughs) uh, where he's almost certain to get uh, her appointed. And he did try right? and fail in a different case to get in front of her before. I don't yeah, remember the yeah. details of that, but... Oh, I do. Well, that, that was the... He sued uh, Hillary Clinton, right? Wasn't it that right, one? That, was, oh, that was the lawsuit against the deep state for the Russia hoax. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes, he specifically tried 
to get in front of this judge? He filed there because he thought it would guarantee her. And actually, the 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 deep state case was also decided today. Yeah, I was going to say I could have sworn um, there was just some action on that. I didn't get to take. Yeah, take no, that happened. Up. That happened today. Middlebrooks threw out his amended complaint. Though one of the funny things is on the first complaint, which he also threw out, but without prejudice, he complained that Middlebrooks should recuse because he's biased. And Middlebrooks literally wrote. You filed in Fort Pierce before, you know, trying to get it in front of a judge who you literally appointed. I don't think you're sincere. (laughs) And so he just went on. And so, yeah, so that was picked apart, too. But yes, so that's so that's who it's in front of. It ends up in front of a judge who he appointed and who was confirmed the week after he lost the election. When uh, he wasn't, she wasn't nominated then, but she was confirmed during the mad rush to pack the courts with these like expedited hearings <laughs> that McConnell was holding before they lost the Senate and the uh, appointment authority of the presidency. <laughs> I believe she was 38 yeah. at the time she received her lifetime appointment. Yes. And that was three years ago. So she's currently 41. And uh, I looked it up. I was trying to find the closest professional athlete to her age. And I think it's Nelson Cruz, Uh which I'm not sure if that makes her sound younger or older. Rich Hill came 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 to my head. Okay. So so I guess let's talk about – let's talk about some of these claims. Well, just really quick. Do we just want to like in 10 seconds just – Say what a special master is, because I've oh, also yeah, I've, I've, seen, I've seen lots of people in the media saying that like I didn't even know this was a thing. Like what it, it sounds made up. It certainly sounds made up. A special master. So I get. I mean, this is I. I don't. I don't generally. Well, I don't practice in criminal law, but my understanding is or civil, criminal or civil, that the you know the court has the power under the rules of procedure to appoint what's called a special master. But typically, this is reserved for cases where, for example, the government raids the office of like an attorney or a law firm and in scooping up materials, you know, pursuant to the warrant for whatever crime they're investigating, they might also be scooping up all sorts of attorney client privilege material that is unrelated to, um, you know, what, what they're searching for. And so they have what's called a special master, this neutral party that essentially gets inserted into the case to screen out um, documents that may be subject to privilege that the government should not have access to that are irrelevant to the proceedings. Right. right. And in a lot of cases, it will just go like the special master will just be a magistrate judge or the judge will assign this kind of discovery-ish grunt work to the magistrate. It is, if anything, it's just sort of a release valve for the pressure of doing this on an expedited basis because the judge and the magistrate don't have time to do the crunch. Yeah, on it. <clears throat> I do agree that that is normally what they are used for. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> right. This is a li- this is a little bit more like a wrestler looking backstage and having a dude come out and smack somebody with a chair to get a DQ. Like that's definitely- <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the DOJ tried to make the distinction that all of the cases that they cited were law offices, 
And in the law offices, like uh, like Patrick said, so much of it is going to be other clients that you want to be able to screen that out. And the other thing is he cited the executive privilege cases he cited were Nixon, who was a sitting president, or cases involving like, and it involved Congress who wanted it. And Nixon still lost. Yeah. And and then more and then other contemporary cases where they found executive privilege, but even then it was with respect to Congress, and there were no cases where they found that, that an ex-president could stop the current president by claiming executive privilege. Yeah, this this really shouldn't have to be said, but executive privilege means that the executive branch is privileged from having to disclose their records, communications, what have you, outside of the executive branch. Yeah. Whereas what we have here, and DOJ is very forceful in their reply, which is basically a, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, Here we have the current executive branch uh, reviewing records relating to the prior head of the executive branch. And the reason they are doing it is in because they are considering prosecution, which is an inherently executive branch yeah. function. Like the, it could not be more internally executive. So the idea that they're somewhere, someone is privileged along this line is pretty ludicrous. Right. Right. And so, and so everyone laughs at this brief because it's really long on complaining and very short on law. And then all of the wise people are like, ah, but it's in front of a hack. And that, of course, you know, foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the DOJ takes it seriously. And so they respond and they're like, okay, let me start with this. 14 pages of non-compliance. <laughs> <laughs> so like their recitation of the pre-warrant procedure, you know, we covered some of it, but they're like, look, his vo- his so-called voluntary clients was incomplete. It was slow and it was dishonest at every turn, right? They, they showed us the boxes, but wouldn't open them. And the affidavit that they found everything was also clearly wrong because we found, and this was my favorite line, we found twice as many documents in two hours in the storage room than they did in two months of searching for them, right? So they're like, all of it is a lie. The, the, other, the other part of this, and this, this was the ickiest part of DOJ's response for me, was when they go through essentially this, is it Richie? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the case law in terms of item or property that's seized pursuant to a valid warrant, like under what circumstances the government has to give it back to you. And, you know, I, I get that, you know, this is this is Donald Trump. So he's the least sympathetic plaintiff probably that you could imagine in the entire United States. But just reading this portion of the brief that essentially amounted to when 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 the government gets your stuff pursuant to a search warrant, we really don't have to give it back. That's what the case law right. says. Only in very only in very rare circumstances do we have to give you your stuff back. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more complex than that, but that's how it read 
on the surface. It's, that was the part of the brief where I was like, yeah, this this is this Fourth Amendment search and seizure, like this area of the law is not necessarily so great. Yeah, it is not movement friendly. <laughs> no. Once and which makes it crazy because that's ultimately what becomes the test that they use that Eileen yes. Cannon says isn't a close call to afford the special master. And they keep the you know the the government goes on. He has no likelihood of success because they're government documents. He has no likelihood of success because they're classified documents. There is no way he's going to be able to show irreparable harm because we'll give him back his personal stuff later. And, you know, there's nothing really, uh, you know, that he has to worry about. And we are the ones who will actually face irreparable harm because these are national defense documents, which we have to get secured. And we are pursuing a criminal investigation, which has to be expedited as the nature of it. And that was not enough. <laughs> I the, the most persuasive and what I think should have been controlling argument that's in DOJ's reply is... We don't need a special master because we've already looked at and reviewed all of the documents. So what possible reason other than stringing out the clock and essentially putting DOJ in timeout, which is what Judge Cannon eventually does. Yeah. But what reason could there possibly be to put a pause and say we cannot use, that we need a special master to review for privilege records that the government has already completed reviewing? Well, Eric, maybe you didn't consider that that the Trump people could persuasively argue to the judge that uh, maybe they did a bad job. (laughs) There's a line. God, I hope I can find it. There's, there's a line here that says, while DOJ may have succeeded in taking a partial filter to their rummaged proceeds, and it's the one <laughs> thing I highlighted, and I just wrote, this sounds like Master Shake. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say the reason why I think this brief uh, reads better is because of the standing argument, which is by far the least important issue. Because they're never not going to find standing. Cannon certainly wasn't. No, 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 not in this case. And so the part where they're like, it's egregious that they would even claim that we don't have standing ends up being strong, but also doesn't really matter because on all the real substantive stuff, it's bad. And then they really like at the same time, we get the inventory, right? The judge had asked for a more detailed inventory, and that was just fun to go through. Because it's literally thousands of government <laughs> documents in these 35 boxes. There are, and, and lots of magazines. Yes, so yeah. many magazines. <laughs> and so, yeah, all his press clippings, there are, like we said, over 100 documents with classified markings. And then a bunch of stuff, which they call gifts, which are also actually probably the government's. Because yeah. the president can't accept anything other than nominal gifts. Do you think the um, orb? You think the orb that he got to touch was in there? <laughs> yeah, they open one box and <laughs> the it's box like Wall- is glowing. You can see it's it like through Wallace's the briefcase. Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. <laughs> it's the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yeah, in DOJ's brief, they say, "Well, you know, one of the reasons that we took your personal effects is because that is very relevant yeah. evidence." Yeah, it's sort of evidence. Establish- it's sort of evidence that you had this government shit in with your personal shit. Also, yeah. here it's back to you. They also make they also make a pretty smart point 
in their reply before to mention before Trump whines about it, they mentioned the stuff about the um, passports. And I think they, they, they put it in a footnote because it's like it goes to the fact that like there's not an irreparable injury here because we're already giving you your shit back, dog. Like it's it's going to yeah. be OK. <laughs> and so that's it. All that's that's all in the inventory. And then there's a there's an ominous oral argument that was not streamed and they didn't even let people live tweet you know like they told people that they couldn't do that and so it doesn't really come out until after that things look bad for the government you know because the judge clearly seemed sympathetic and that is exactly what happens right the judge the judge does uh appoint a special master uh and then it is it bends over so far backwards, uh, so far backwards to take this, the, every point and decide them in his favor. Yeah, this order holds that as a matter of law, we must be fair to Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is, that, is, that is actually mindful of the need to ensure at least the appearance of fairness and integrity under these extraordinary circumstances. That is a line taken directly from the order. Yeah. That we must, as a matter of law, be very fair to Mr. Trump. Yeah. Court is taking judicial notice of the man uh, with a Confederate tattoo on his forehead. (laughs) The first question is, did the government trample on uh, Trump's rights? And it was like pulling teeth. She was like, no, I don't think so. But then hedges that maybe they did. The second is an individual interest in the seized documents. And she says yes, right? Despite their like it being like 95% government records. <laughs> right. She's like, well, they had the filter team come and talk, right? The, the filter team actually spoke and they're like, we had, there were some privileged documents which have been segregated and we're ready to present to the magistrate and, you know, go through that process with Trump's counsel. There were some personal effects. There were some tax and accounting and medical records. And that is it, right? She hears tax accounting and medical. And that's when it ended. That's when she had her hook, I think. This this is the part of the actual legal analysis of the order that then makes the remedy just totally bizarre in that, okay, does does Donald Trump have an interest in getting his purely personal effects returned to him by the government? Of course. But the result of the order that comes out is that there's a special master who gets to review everything, mm-hmm. right. not just review and screening for personal effects or things that are, that are privileged personally to the president. As opposed to no, the the special master under this order gets to literally review the whole caboodle. Yeah, right. Implying that the special master could find that Donald Trump must he must be able to get these classified documents so that he can you know keep them at Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like, it's 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 crazy. And I got to right. tell you, this is the moment in the reading where I started having this like persistent intrusive thought, and it was just that picture of that couple getting a divorce in the 90s and they're sitting on the floor splitting up their beanie babies. That's like exactly <laughs> what this is going to look like, right? There's just going to be like a bunch of passports and magazines and shit and like a bunch of like documents clearly marked classified and they're both just going to be on either side of some big, ugly, like, you know, uh, hotel carpeted banquet hall. Yeah. Step three under Richie is a finding of irreparable injury. And they're like, oh yeah, there is irreparable injury to the president. <laughs> because he's missing some of his documents, 
the Fox News clause, mm-hmm. which is that there have been leaks. And because there are leaks, then obviously the, DO- the DOJ is being shady. That was legitimately wild to see that. Yeah. I'm used to a cynical amount of like just disingenuousness or whatever. But seeing that, like, that was like, yeah. okay, that's not a real argument. You could, like, you can't just conjecture that they're going to leak it if you don't. Wild, just wild Well, stuff. they said that there were leaks already. That's what her basis oh, okay, was. Oh, okay, okay. That like she's like there have been leaks and there will be in the future and so there that's why I don't trust you. This was in a footnote. But I thought, if I recalled correctly, that at oral argument the government said there have not been leaks, but in theory, leaks are always possible. Just like can can we guarantee there will never be a leak? No. But I thought they said an argument that there have not been leaks, and she just said, "Well, the government the government concedes that leaks exist." <laughs> what the government said is like if there were leaks, we don't know who did it. Right. Like there mm. were things that I guess leaked out before they were official. And so they're not sure how that leaked. But, you know, but they also said that there's a stigma of a tainted prosecution if people see things that they're not supposed to see. And it is a super stigma to the ex-president's legacy to have this cloud over his head, blah, blah, blah. And so there's no alternate remedy at law other than this special master. Um, which I think was wild. I, I don't know that I've seen just such unanimous head scratching <laughs> when when you know, when a district court order comes down to just to see like the the entire internet unanimously yeah. erupt in a a what the hell just happened? A truly broad, a truly broad bipartisan uh, agreement. Like, wow, this is <laughs> this is wild. This is something yeah. different. I mean, Bill Barr was on Fox talking down the hosts, being like, this is totally, like, not even the opinion, but before the opinion came down, being like, this is totally meritless. Why would he possibly have 30 boxes of government records in his house? It's never happened before because nobody does this. You give it to the archives and then you get them for your library. You don't hide it in the basement of your golf club. Well, I guess we're going to find out. Maybe you do. Yeah, exactly. And then she goes after the filter team. She goes after the filter team because the filter team admitted that there were two documents that slipped through the filter and were returned to the prosecution team. And the prosecution team read the document or started to read the document and was like, I think this is plausibly privileged and sent it back under the very broad standard that the filter team said they used and then have the special master or let Trump's people object. And then the special master will resolve the edge cases, right? So we were broad and they gave it back to us. And so Cannon is like, you did make a mistake, uh, and so that proves it wasn't effective. You say that you were being over-inclusive, but I don't know that yet. We don't know if the people who read the privileged documents and returned them are still on the prosecution team, which, of course, they would be. They definitely would be. <laughs> no yeah, one the, gets uh, kicked off of these things for, like, inadvertent production. The wording she uses is uh, that she doesn't believe they were walled off, but she means it, like, in, a, in the cask of Montiato. and then she goes to the appearance of fairness again it's another invocation of the appearance of fairness i have ginned up 
this bullshit controversy. And now that I've published this bullshit controversy, people will be worried if I don't assign a special master to this. She's pretty good. I can see why you appointed her. Right. She knows the job. District court judges, they're like umpires or soccer referees. I mean, if you're a district court judge and people know your name, it means you fucked up. Yeah. There was a, there was another recent case that I'm forgetting the name of, where again the executive privilege fight was uh, mostly lost, but it was about Congress. And if I remember correctly, the Nixon citation is like a very glancing aside as well. These aren't like totally. It was a very bad decision for Nixon, <laughs> and the idea of executive privilege being like all powerful. They like it was the Supreme Court putting a limit on executive privilege is she throws in a footnote where all all litigation under the Presidential Records Act is given to the District of the District of Columbia. And so she throws this in, but doesn't really explain it away. She's just like, yeah, I'm aware. And then proceeds to issue, appoint the special master and issue the injunction anyway, um, which I think is kind of wild. Yeah, she's a... She's an interesting lady. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> and so then the injunction, the injunction has three things. Uh, number one, that the National Security Review can continue, uh, but the criminal review has to stop while, while we go through the special master thing. And then today, she asked them to send like names and procedures today. The first thing I just want to point out is that when she said uh, she wanted to name a special master, four different people volunteered themselves. Like they just wrote a letter saying, I'll do it. One was Charles. Yes. One was Patrick. (laughs) One was me. Yep. And they, I mean, I just, I tweeted them out. You could find it there. But the first one is a guy who literally doesn't know what a special master does, but he assures the court he's a hard worker. One is someone who says that they have experience with, uh, confidential and classified documents from their prior work and I don't know, whatever. He literally lives in the Trump Hotel in Vegas, and he attached a rider <laughs> of his requirements. Like a fucking Van Halen to a rider. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. He's like, these are the things that I have to have when you appoint me. There's a third guy who goes by Buzz, not, who really wants to expand the role of the special. He suggests that he should have very broad investigatory power. Uh And then there's a fourth woman who uh, in Topeka who actually seems like she has decent experience. You know, she works at a dispute resolution place. She is assisting a special man, a local special master in some something. But there's no evidence that she has any security clearance or why uh, she would be brought in from Topeka to do this. Well, interesting. I like all these four people. Buzz, Buzz in particular, I think he shows a lot of gumption. He could be sort of the Columbo of the executive branch. It'd be cool. But so now, so now who did they actually nominate? So the DOJ nominated two people. The first is Barbara Jones, who whose name is probably a little familiar to special master junkies. 
Uh, yeah, all the special because, master heads out there. Yeah, uh, because she was the special master for Cohen's law office, and she was the special master for the Project Veritas raid, where they purchased the stolen diary of Biden's daughter. And she was nominated by Clinton, and she retired fairly recently, I think. And then the other Department of Justice nominee is Thomas Griffith, who is a retired judge from the D.C. Circuit. And he served on the FISA court. He was nominated by by W. Generally, he served on Biden's Supreme Court commission that recommended against expansion. (laughs) And he also wrote the opinion before he retired, saying that Don McGahn could throw away the congressional subpoena, though ultimately he got overruled by the en banc D.C. Circuit. So those are the two DOJ nominees. Someone else want to take the Trump nominees? I'm not quite the man for this job, but what I have been doing mentally is um, handicapping these people Vegas style. And uh-huh. uh, I mean, there's a clear front runner in the uh, in the Trump bracket, I got to say. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. We'll get to him. The first is Raymond Dreary. Deary. Which, uh, oh, is it Deary? Deary? I thought it was Dreary. It's, you no, could say that Deary. if we were, if we were uh, recording this in October, that would have been pretty cool, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, this isn't the, you know, the district of Gashley crumb. <laughs> yeah, no. Raymond, Raymond Deary, which, so, I mean, he's, he's not too exciting. Nope. He was just a Reagan, he's a Reagan judge in the Eastern district. And then, and then the real quality one is yeah, they nominate comes. Paul, Paul Huck Jr. Yeah. The big guy, here he comes. So Paul Huck Jr. is a current, was former, he now has his own law firm, but he is a former Jones Day partner. He was a former Florida Deputy Attorney General. He was a former counsel to the Florida governor, referred to as the godfather of the Federalist Society in Miami. (laughs) His wife is on the 11th Circuit. She was first put on the Florida Appeals Court by Jeb Bush. She was put on the Florida Supreme Court by Ron DeSantis. And she was put on the 11th Circuit by Trump himself. She was then put on the shortlist to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then one final little bit is represented the family of Elian Gonzalez. Very, a lot of movers and shakers in this family. She's very yeah. zeitgeisty. And it goes without saying, I think Barbara Jones, Raymond Deary, Duds, I put them both at like eh, plus 250 maybe. Mm-hmm. Griffith, I don't know. There's almost no way. Like a like a plus 400 maybe. Paul Huck Jr. coming in, easy minus 100, like a clear favorite. <laughs> I, would, I would put him lower, but there's one major flaw in his CV here. That, that uh, former counsel, Florida governor thing, I'm pretty sure that's Charlie Crist. And he was a Republican at the time, but he's kind of persona non grata now. Interesting. So that's, so that's a knock against him, but it's minor. Interesting. No, like he will, if if that's the difference, he will burn a cross on that lawn tonight. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, I mean, otherwise, this dude, this I would legitimately bet money that this it would dude be, gets the gig. It would be <laughs> so funny if he got the gig. If for no other reason that he, then he This guy was nominated almost certainly because he sat at the same table at Federal Society meetings as Eileen Cannon. Mm -hmm. Like they literally nominated a guy from the backyard who is so in the bag that it would almost be grounds for impeachment to choose him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we joke all the time about these Federalist Society people being like grown in a vat to do these jobs or whatever. But Paul Huck Jr. 
is a <laughs> absolute a man who is destined for this exact moment and this exact job. <laughs> it, it like it. I swear to God, the way that everything else is gone, the way that this specific case is gone or whatever, I would be flabbergasted if he doesn't get the gig. I can't do it. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't give up so much that I believe that she'll do this, but I am so impressed with the balls that it took to write his name down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, this is, it's, it's very impressive. And so now the only other thing is like they've agreed to a bunch of things. They've agreed that once the special master files his or her report, that sides have 10 days to object. And then they like disagreed about everything else mm -hmm. because the, the DOJ, and we'll get to this a little more later, wants to pull the 100 classified documents out of the review because the the FBI needs them the security review can't really happen without also operating at the same time as the national security review like they're kind of the same people the FBI is part of the national security apparatus and so they want those 100 documents pulled out and they've made a motion for that and so Trump objects to that he's like no 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 we don't concede that they're actually classified even though they have classified markings so we want the special master to review those and he made some weird claim that he has special rights under the Presidential Records Act that even the people in the current executive branch might not have. But it didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> he also wants a special master to make a ruling on executive privilege. He doesn't want the special master to consult with the archives at all. <laughs> Because the archives will only disagree with the Trump position. Mm -hmm. And the DOJ is like, we you should put together logs sorting the stuff into different categories because we're just going to give you back your personal stuff. And so the special master doesn't even have to look at that. And Trump's like, no, that's not nearly slow enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we think the special master should have to re re look at all of that too. And Trump wants the government to pay half. They want yes, half. That, that was my favorite part. You know, this 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 special master, uh, why don't we split him? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we'll get we'll each get our own entree, but then we'll share an app. <laughs> and the government, because this is actually in the special mass, the federal rules of civil procedure say that one of the ways that the judge should decide allocation of expenses is, you know, the party that requested the special master. And but it doesn't matter. The judge is going to go halvesies here. And then the last thing is that the DOJ wants the special master to finish by October 17th. And Trump is like, I don't know, that's before the election, <laughs> and asked for 90 days to go through everything, which is why they want every single piece of paper reviewed. And so we'll see how that goes. Everyone, I think, is uh, primed to expect the absolute worst. Yeah, yeah. God, the absolute shameless ability of the Trump side to drag every single part of this out is sort of breathtaking. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, that's the one thing that they're quality at. Yeah, their entire legal strategy is that part in Wet Hot American Summer where Paul Rudd is just sighing. <laughs> so that's so that's sort of where we stand. But now there are two new there are two new motions which just got filed today. Also, uh, one of them I already mentioned, 
which is that they want the hundred classified documents to go right to the national security. You know, let's cut the crap on that. They have classified markings, which means one, at the very least, they're government documents. Number two, there's no way you're entitled to them personally. So we have an extreme likelihood of success here. They're not plausibly personal or privileged, which is why you have the special master in the first place. And if you hamstring a criminal investigation and the National Security Review, that's bad for us and for the American people. Uh, And he has no expectation that we ever would have given this back. You know, like, I don't even care what you rule. We're not going to give this back. (laughs) Yeah, that DOJ motion, it it did seem like the legal equivalent of explaining something to a toddler. Yeah. Just like, listen, you you issued an order and that's great. Like we're really <laughs> we're really proud of you. Yeah, that's a but, that's a lot of words. Those are big words. In there. <laughs> but the order you've issued is unmanageable and may get people killed. Right. So here's what we should actually do. <laughs> right. Right. And they basically concede everything else. Yes, that's that's the thing. It's like, well, okay, like we'll we'll play the special master dance. We'll we'll get a Hulk, a Paul Huck for the table and split him halfway. <laughs> but these 100 classified documents, uh, we really need to right. just, you know, keep using those. There's no doubt about it. And you didn't make any executive privilege claims when you gave us back the confidential stuff in January or June. You were so if if you really believed that you had any executive privilege authority over this, you'd have made those claims before and you didn't. I think the last thing they said is to the extent that Trump is worried about <laughs> the cloud over him or being charged that's not actually a cognizable harm, right? Or else every defendant <laughs> right, getting would just... in trouble. Your Honor, <laughs> yeah. well, Your Honor, Your Honor, I am at risk of getting in trouble. You may not take judicial notice of where my <laughs> hand is. This cookie jar is mine. <laughs> the judge, after getting this thing, issued like there was like a memo entry on the docket, which was you should talk about this at your meet and confer. Like about whether you will concede to turning over uh, these hundred documents without sending them to the special master. And then, you know, like, as we just said, Trump's people were like, no, yeah, no, we're making we're making you decide this one, too. This we're really testing to see if you want to be on the Supreme Court in the DeSantis administration. (laughs) So any any final thoughts? Yes, I am preemptively pouring uh, two out. Because two innocent lives are going to be lost when they decide to split the cost, the special master thing, and each of them owes them half of a horse. So that's going to be. <laughs> Eric, anything? It does. It really does wind down. So I'll probably end up uh, no, ending on uh, uh, Patrick because I don't have it. any final thoughts either. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you both. Usually I'd just give thanks here, but like I said at the beginning, this isn't all. Episode 8, or I guess 7.5 or 7.2.0, picks up where we left off here with the DOJ's request for a stay from canon to review the facially classified documents and, spoiler, the 11th Circuit appeal that followed, as well as the Special Master's early moves. That episode will get us all up to the release date, more or less, unless they manage to slip some more news under the wire. 
If they do, I guess me pretending I'm caught up is funny. Also, if you haven't listened to ALAB 28 on the Florida felon disenfranchisement story, do that. It's interesting and infuriating, and I think we took it seriously and still made it funny. Now the thank yous. Thanks as always to Eric and Patrick for joining me. Thanks to Riverboat Gamblers for the intro, Blue Ghosts, and to Patrick, again, for the interstitial music, Fear of Flying. Thanks to Jeb Lund for a first swipe at cleaning up the sound before I edited, and to Dan Parshall for refining it more after that, and then rearranging the parts the way I wanted. You can find everyone's Twitter and where to find their other projects in the episode notes. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening. See you over at episode 8.